Hello and good morning. Welcome to First City. My name is Rick Hayes. If I have with me Matthew Campbell, you'll meet him here in just a second. For those of you who already know him, you know you're probably in for a treat. Uh, I met Matthew nine, I'm probably getting closer to 10 years, a little over nine years ago. Yeah. And, uh, and when I first met him, uh, it was downstairs in the coffee house and it wasn't even on a Sunday and he came in and, and uh, I was getting ready to do a, a small group and... Uh, and Matthew came in, and we got to talking, and, and I thought, man, this guy, I like this guy. And he's, he's, he's got a good mind, and he's passionate about wanting his life to go in the direction of God. And so, like any good pastor who's always looking for an opportunity to for move somebody up into leadership, I said, hey, would you like to lead a small group? And, and at that time, Matt was like, uh... Uh, well, uh, you know, I, right now, I really only want to focus on me. And, I, and that, that's a, that, he said, that's big enough for me right now. And, uh, and we started meeting together. And at that time, I thought, man, you know, I, I want to pour into his life and I want to help him in this journey of his. And now, you know, nine years later, uh, I believe that I learned from him way more than he learns from me. And, and God has been really, really good to him. So today is sign up for small group day. And we just Woo-hoo. concluded our 21 days of prayer and fasting. We want to begin, if you're brand new with us, we want to begin every year. We do this in January. We also do it again in August at the beginning of the, the new school year. And we just pause everything and we just pray and spend time with God and say, okay, God, what do you want to do in my life? What what is it? I, I want to transform from just doing what I want to do to doing what you have created me to do. And I can't do that without really plugging into you and, and becoming one with you. And then we follow that up with signing up for small groups. If you were to look at the building block of a transformed life, and what is the foundation of, of a life that is transformed in the, in the name of Jesus Christ? A large part of that foundation is partnering with people who are going to help you get where you want to go. And so that's why small groups are so important. And we dedicate a couple of weeks just to talking with you about it and helping you because that's just the consistency, the people who pour into your life, who encourage you when you're down, who support you when you're weak, who challenge you when you're starting to move into a different direction. So this is very, very important. And uh, Matthew's going to share his story. I first want to cover verse of scripture with you. This is Luke chapter 17. And here are, are 10 people who want their life to be transformed. And it says this, verse 11. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. And as he entered a village, there were 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, why did they stand at a distance? Because he had leprosy. And if you had leprosy, you couldn't bump up against anybody or get it. You know, they could easily get the infection. They could easily get leprosy. And nobody wanted that. So they stood at a distance, which means if they were married, they couldn't go home. They couldn't hug their children. They couldn't hold down a job. They couldn't go to church. They couldn't do anything. They had Their life was, I have to remain at a distance. Now imagine what would that be like if you couldn't be close to anybody. All you wanted was a, 
was a, co- a close connection or a hug or a conversation or to be in the same, to eat at a dinner table with your family and they couldn't do it. So they're crying out from a distance, Jesus, 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 please change my life, heal me. Jesus looked at them and said, go show yourself to the priest. He didn't say, okay, you're healed. He just said, well, go show yourself to the priest. Now, they couldn't do it if they had leprosy. They would, you know, they would be ostracized and isolated. They could be killed. And so they believed that on the way to go do something that right now, because we have leprosy, we can't do, but that if we head in that direction, step by step, something will happen. And I love the next line. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. To me, that is amazing that every step brought them more healing. Every step in the right direction brought them what they hungered for, what they longed for, what they wanted. And it's the exact same way. We would love a life to be transformed in an instant. I would love to where, you know, I'm an alcoholic today and I'm just not. Or I'm cuss up a store and I just don't. I'm unfaithful and I'm just pure of heart. I would love for that to happen instantly, and sometimes it does. But most of the time, it's step by step. And so can you imagine, with every step, things changed. With every step, things changed. Every step in the right direction brought transformation. And that's, that's your opportunity today, to take a step in the right direction, And with every step in that direction, your scenery changes. And you'll look back behind you and you'll say, man, how how did that happen? How did my life change that dramatically? How did I go from being the person that I was to being the person that I am? It's one intentional step after another. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. And he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. And Jesus said, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Jesus is wanting to transform everyone's life. Your life. The life of your best friend or your boss or your spouse or your neighbor, your children. He wants to transform your life. And, and everybody has that opportunity. Sometimes people make it a little bit, they get a little bit of healing and then they just go off in a different direction or they forget to go back and praise God and thank God. And so when we show up here on Sundays, isn't our primary reason to tell God thank you for everything he's done for us? Amen. That's why we gather. I'm a transformed life. Can I be a witness? And so today, I want you to hear from Matthew Campbell. Would you welcome Matthew Campbell to the stage for me? I don't know how to follow that. I'm just kidding. Um, I just want to first say that I love this church, man. And I say that with more sincerity than you will ever know. This church will grow on you. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's, uh, I had this idea. I had a lot of religious scars growing up. You know, I had my idea of church and all these different things. And when I came here, it was different. Never in a million years did I imagine that one of my best friends would be my pastor. <laughs> so Oops. he said something that really got my attention, but... I do a lot of writing, so 
But one of the things that he just shared that, that reminded me of something that I wanted to share with you guys is God is not going to remove anything that you're still willing to suffer the consequences for. God is not going to take anything away from you that you're still willing to suffer the consequences for. That'll wake you up a little bit. Um, the thing that I think about in my experience, and I'm going to say this because I say it when I'm in a group of other people, is my name is Matt Campbell, and I am an alcoholic. And I say that because that's what I am. And uh, in September this year, I will be sober a decade. My, uh, so I used to go to my mentor, and, and I would say, man, I have this thing with pride. Any of you guys have a problem with pride? <laughs> I go to him, and I say, you know, uh, I say, Rick. Not this Rick, my, my mentor. I say, Rick, I said, you know, what's this deal with pride? And he says, well, the key to pride, Matt, is just to give God all the credit for everything you got, and then you don't have to be in pride anymore. I was like, dang, I like that. So uh, I have to give God the credit for my, my sobriety today. It's not my, it, God gave it to me, but it's my job to take care of it. It was a gift, but it's meant to be given to other people. It's not meant just to keep for myself, you know. So, you know, when Rick said, hey, you know, I said, Maybe I can come and talk now. It's been a little while since we've chatted about that. But I want to share a little bit of my story. I'm not going to stick around with the problem too much. I love the solution too much. But I'm just going to touch a little bit on what my life was like and what it is like now. Um, I was born and raised in Tallahassee. Um, I was an only child. I, was, I had a creative imagination. I used to play in the woods, and, and I got bullied a lot as a kid. And uh, I was very – I was by myself a lot. Um, Growing up, um, I would get in a lot of trouble. I was very defiant. Um, I developed this attitude. My first understanding of God was because I was introduced to church. And a lot of people don't know this, but our first higher powers or our first understanding of God is our parents because we have to subordinate to them. <laughs> and then I got to this point in my life where I was like, you know what? You're not the boss of me. And I took that all the way up into my adulthood. And then I got that relationship with God where I was like, you know what? You're not the boss of me. And it got me in a lot of trouble. <laughs> and I learned that alcohol was something that I had never experienced before. And when I first drank alcohol, it was like magic, man. It was like everything that I was concerned about or worried about just vaporized. And I remember I threw up and, and, and just had a really bad experience. And I woke up the next day and I was like, man, let's go do that again. <laughs> and, you know, that's the insanity of alcoholism. And, uh, so I didn't touch alcohol for a long time, and then when 21 came around, I was like, you know, I'm of age. I think it's okay now. I can probably drink because I'm old enough. Well, I took that. I took it as far as I could go with it, you know, and um, we were talking about some of the stories that we talked about in the past. Um, I drank. I drank from the age of 21 till about 32 when it was time when God removed it from me. I no longer obsess over alcohol anymore. God has taken the, the mental obsession away from me, which is you have no understanding for an alcohol. That is a miracle. Because, one, I don't have the power to remove that obsession. I know, you know, it's like uh, guys I work with, they say, well, I choose not to drink today. And I says, well, I don't choose whether I drink today. God has removed that power of choice from me. I couldn't do it on my own. Um, so when I tell them that, I says, look, you need to go talk to your sponsor. <laughs> because if you still think you have the power of choice, you're in trouble. You know, and I mentor a lot of different guys. I've worked inside the jails for probably eight or nine years, and I, I will, I have a meeting kind of like with you guys, but with like thirty or forty inmates, and I've done it week in and week out for years. And um, it reminded me of another story. We talk a lot about stories, but 
when I, when I talk to the guys in jail, I say, look, I said, do any of you know the difference between relief and release? And none of them are like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I says, okay, well, if the warden says, hey, Matt, you can leave this jail and you can go have a conjugal visit with your parent or your wife or whatever, your family, sorry, I would probably get some relief from that, right? But the, the warden says, look, you need to come back Sunday and you need, you know, I'm going to put you back in jail. So I tell the guys that I work with, I said, there's a difference between relief and release. I didn't want relief from my alcoholism. I wanted release from it. And that's the same thing with my old ideas. I don't want relief from them. I want a release from them. But I couldn't, I couldn't have that stuff removed on my own power. I had to find a power greater than myself that, by the way, couldn't be me or, or other things. Um, it had to be something that was grounded in truth. And I found Jesus. And Jesus was the one that changed everything for me, changed my perception. Um, so when I drank from 21 up to 32, I had a lot of interesting things happen to me. Um, I remember one time we were talking about where uh, I was living with a friend of mine, and he was a roommate, and he was a Mormon, and we would go out to the bars every night, and we went to a bar one time, and there was this girl that I was working with, and I was like, I went to my roommate, and I said, hey, man, can I borrow your car? I'm going to take this girl with me. We're going to leave and go do our own thing. So he's like, sure, and it starts to rain outside, and I'm talking to her, and I'm telling her how amazing I am and all this stuff, and next thing you know, I hit the back of a police car and total my roommate's car. And the airbag deploys and hits me and hits her in the face. And then, of course, I look over her and, I, and she, no, she looks at me and she says, I don't think we should ever see each other again. <laughs> and I'll never forget it. I turned over her and I looked at her with all the sincere in my heart. I says, well, why would you want to do something like that? And that was just the insanity of my alcoholism. I remember getting out of that car and the police sitting on the curb, and I experienced something that I had never experienced before, and it was, it's what I like to call pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization. That's a lot, right? Incomprehensible demoralization. <laughs> I can't even say it twice. But, you know, it's, I sat on that curve, and I called my roommate, and I said, hey, man, I just need you to come pick up your car because it's in shambles, man, and I totaled it. Hitting a police car, it's almost like, did you make that up? You know, I mean, it's like, <laughs> did you make that up? And this is how good God is, and I didn't even see it at the time. They took me to jail. I didn't get a DUI, and they released me without bail the next morning. You would think at that time that God was, like, throwing pebbles at first, and then he threw a rock at me, and then he threw a boulder and says, what are you doing, son? But no, I kept drinking because I didn't realize I had a mental obsession and that any time that I ingested alcohol that my body had a reaction to it. I didn't know the truth about that at the time. And... More years came. I kept going to jail, kept screwing up, kept making mistakes. And I have a five-and-a-half-month son over there with my 91-year-old grandmother holding her, and she's been one of the greatest influences in my life. And redemption is amazing, guys. You have to get some of it. It's, it's unbelievable. But um, I was New Year's Eve. I was at a, another local bar in Tallahassee, and a woman comes up to me and hands me a picture. And she said, I just want to let you know you have a, a child in the world. And it's my, it was my daughter. And she is 15 now. And I did not know my daughter until she was six. And I just, kept, I just kept going. I kept drinking. I kept drinking. I kept drinking. I had so much guilt and shame. I mean, I was buried in it. And uh, one night, I'm driving my roommate's car, and we're driving down the road. I'm driving my roommate's car by myself, and I'm driving down the road, and... I get pulled over, and I said to myself, you know what? I'm finally going to get that DUI that I never thought I was going to get. And 
cop pulls me over and he walks up to me and says, and I rolled down the window and the first thing that came out was, this isn't my car, I don't have a driver's license and I have no insurance. And that was the first thing that came out of my mouth and I told Rick a long time ago, I says, I didn't even know the truth was in me. But it came out. And it was a miracle. So the cop says, all right, I'm just going to leave you here for a second. You know, I'm thinking, okay, he's going to come. He's going to call his other police buddy. They're going to come. They're going to transport me. I'm going to get to the one, two, three again. He comes back to me, looks at me in the eyes, and he says, listen, I want you to get out of this car, and I want you to walk around down the street, and I want you to rethink about your life. But if I see you back at this car, I'm taking you to jail. I walked down the road, and for the first time in my life, I said the words that I'll never forget. I said, God, help me. And it just came to me. And from that day forward, things started to change for me. I went home. I called my dad. He was the only alcoholic I knew, you know. I mean, I knew other alcoholics, but, I mean, I knew one that was in, in recovery that was sober, and it was my father. And he passed away in 2013 in my sobriety. And uh, that, was, that, was, that was tough, but we got through it. But um, he told me something I'll never forget. He says, Matt, you know, your alcoholism is like an elevator going straight down. You just need to pick out what floor you want to get out on. And, and that woke me up. It got my attention enough, and I went to rehab, and, and my grandmother was the one that got me there. And I remember I had all these conditions that had to be met in order to go to treatment. I said, listen, if I'm going to go to treatment, there needs to be a beach there. <laughs> there there's going to have to be some water and some activities for me to do. Congratulations, Matt, where you're going, there is water and there is a beach. You know, and I remember going and pouring out that last bit of whiskey, you know, right in front of the treatment center, and that was the last time I drank. And the thing that was interesting is I stayed in a halfway house for a year, um, you know, and I needed to do that. I was in treatment for 44 days. I really needed to get detoxed. I, I mean, I was, I, was, I was emaciated. I was spiritually broke. I was mentally broke. I mean, I was just, I was broke in every direction. I had never had a driver's license until I was 33 years old. But I drove everybody else's car. You know, I mean, I had all these firsts that people had had grown up, normal stuff that people did, how to pay their bills, how to, you know, build relationships. I didn't know how to do any of that stuff. I mean, I was... You know, I was absentee from a lot of things, and I became this victim. And then I learned the key to getting out of victimhood is to take ownership of your thoughts and actions. Nobody gives them to me. They're mine. They're my responsibility. And um, small groups are important, guys. Okay? Alcoholics Anonymous is, is my small group, but we created a small group here, and it was called What Are You Not Trusting God With? But here's the thing. I want to share a couple things that I have learned along the way that have completely changed my life. One was this. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want to know the truth about myself because if I did, then I'd have to do something about it. You know, does any, any of you guys understand that one? Okay. A lot of us don't want to know the truth about ourselves because if we find out what it is, then we'd have to do something about it. You know, and I learned how to practice what I call the three Ps. If I'm trying to do something perfect, I'll procrastinate until I get paralyzed by it. You guys ever suffer from that? You know, um, getting sober for me was like, was like being a rock in a pile of rocks. And the ro other rocks were my family members. And I was a rock inside of that pile of rocks. And when I got sober, I got a sponsor, and I worked the steps, and, I, and it was like a, a rock. You ever seen a rock sheath before? I had all these rigid and jagged edges surrounding my body. And when you bumped into me, man, you would get wounded, you know, because I was edgy. But what the steps and, and God and Jesus Christ and 
other people that were living sober lives taught me is that I didn't have to live like that anymore. And my, I started becoming a smooth rock because those steps were kind of those principles that we practice in here smoothed me out, all those rough edges. But what I did was I had a spiritual awakening. I ran back to the rock pile, but my, my smooth shape would not fit in that pile of rocks because guess what? The pile of rocks were still affected by what I had done to them even though I was sober. So I didn't fit in the family dynamic anymore. And, and I had these expectations that they were going to change because I had changed, but that's not the case. They're still affected by the things that I had done to them. So I learned that by the reason I say that, that this is a process, man, not an event. You know, getting, so, getting sober is a gift, but it takes a lot of work, you know, and chopping wood and carrying water is a great thing. But you're constantly learning new ways to interact with people and to build relationships. Um, thinking about um, sobriety being my responsibility. Um, one of the other things, too, is like I learned that if you've ever seen a prism before, what a prism looks like, you know what a prism looks like. It's crystal, you know, it has light that shines through it. I learned when I got here, I was kind of like I was kind of like a like a prism, but my prism was dirty, and you couldn't see through it. Okay. What the steps did was clean up that prism so that God's light could shine through me. And what happens when light shines through a prism? There's col there's beautiful colors that come out the other end, right? But what I learned in sobriety is, I am not the light, and I am not the colors that come out the other end of the and in the spectrum. God is the light and God is responsible for all the stuff that comes out. All I have to do is keep myself clean so that God can use me as an instrument to help others. Because I never thought that alcoholism would be an asset. Today it is an asset, not a liability anymore. And when, when I got here, I, I could tell you all day that I believed in Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus. I believe in God, right? But guess what? I didn't trust that. I didn't trust God. So when I work with other guys, I say, you know, there's a big difference between believing in God and trusting God. And when I figured that out, my life changed because I could tell you that I believed in something, but I didn't trust the power that I believed in. You know, <laughs> we joke a lot of times, but when I'm working with newcomers, I say, you know, the difference between you and God is God doesn't sit around obsessing that he's you all day. <laughs> because that's what we do. You know, we, we have, we, we, I had to fire myself as the CEO and manager of my own life. I was the CEO and manager of Matt Incorporated, and it wasn't working, guys. So I had to fire me and ask God to be my new director. And when I ask God to direct my thinking in the morning and ask him to be my manager, things work out pretty darn good, guys, and it gets better all the time. I can't even explain to you. When I wake up in the morning, I say, God, thank you for putting breath in my lungs. Thank you for my life. Thank you for the peace and joy that you put in my heart. Thank you for my relationships, my job. You know, um, you know, I ask God, I say, God, you know, I hope my thoughts, words, and deeds are pleasing to you today. You know, and a guy 10 years ago wasn't thinking about none of that stuff. You know, but I know what the, I, I used to think that when I drank, I knew the benefits or what I thought the benefits were alcohol was, but I know what the benefits of having a relationship with God is today. Small groups are, are a great example of how we can demonstrate God's love. Did you guys know that there is great strength and vulnerability? Did you guys know that? When you're in a small group, you can be vulnerable with people. Can any of you guys see the back of your head? Can you? I'm just, if you do, let me know because that's a pretty big feat. But um, I can't see the back of my head. 
But if I develop mirrors and relationships in small groups, they can tell me the things that I can't see. And they can be the mirrors for me. Right? So in small groups, I learn how to develop mirrors and relationships. And I can roll over and say, look, this is a really bad spot for me. I don't want anybody to see it. But I trust you enough where I can be vulnerable with you enough in this small group where I can expose myself, good, bad, indifferent, real or imagined, I can, I can share with you who I am. And this church, this place will do that for you. You know what I mean? Um, the other thing I want to talk about, too, because we've got limited time, but um, has anybody in here ever experienced been given, has anybody in here ever experienced been, being given something that didn't belong to them? And I'll explain. People in our lives will give us things without our permission that don't belong to us. Like abuse. That was given to me without my permission. Okay? Some people have, you know, sexual abuse, whatever. Things were given to me without my permission, and I held on to them. And the reason why I held on to that stuff is because if I, I, I told myself, well, if I let go of this stuff, who am I going to become? You know, and I realized that that stuff didn't belong to me anymore, that it belonged to God, and I needed to give it to him. So I had to lay all that stuff down at the cross and say, God, this stuff doesn't belong to me. It belongs to you. And um, I played a lot of hide-and-go-seek from God. I don't know if you guys have ever done that before, but I did it in alcohol. I did it in jails. I did it in bad relationships. I did it in my sin nature. I mean, I did it in every avenue of my life. And I learned... I learned that when I trusted God with everything that I am, that he can use me as a demonstration to help others. <coughs> Today, I have a beautiful family. My wife is my rock. I love her so much. And she's amazing. And I prayed and asked for her, and God blessed me with a, a great wife and a beautiful son. You know, and I was thinking about how when I work with other alcoholics, I think about things like this. You know, one of the things that I love to share with others, I said, you know what? I may have not, I may have not been able to see my first child born, but I got to work the steps with another person so that they could get sober, have a relationship with God so that they could see their kid be born. You know, stuff like that. That's redemption. You know, like things, I wanted to be absolved of everything I had ever done, and I learned how to do that through working with others, small groups, church, the whole, the whole ball of wax, you know what I mean? And my father had this amazing wristwatch. And my father had the, he, he was on the original set of Star Wars. Um, he also got to spend some time with the Dalai Lama. He traveled the entire world. And he had this watch, and it was in every country he had ever been to. And when he passed away, I got two things from him. I got an Indiana Jones hat that he wore everywhere. And actually, I have it in my house, and I got pictures of him um, wearing it on the original set of Star Wars, you know, in the 70s. And he's got this watch. And it would be like if I went up to the jewel, if I went to the watch keeper and I said, hey, listen, I love this watch so much, you have no idea. I need you to fix this watch for me, okay? And I put my arm out, and the guy says, listen, I'll fix that watch, but you have to take it off your hand first. And I say, no, 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 no you're going to have to fix this while it's on my hand because I ain't giving it to you. And that's what I did with God. I held on to stuff that had no value and I would hold on to it and I wanted God to, God to fix it, but I didn't want to let go of it. You know what I mean? And it's like God wants to take that stuff, put it on his workbench. He either wants to fix it or remove it from your life. 
you know, and I had to learn how subordinating to God was important to me, that I, I had the chain of command all out of whack. You know, it's just like the military. I subordinate, you know, dog subordinates to man, man subordinates to God. I had it totally backwards. And through working with others and continuing to seek God, things just continue to get better, you know. Um, so let's say that there are people sitting here who've never been in a small group. And they find themselves like you when you are walking down the road, you know, away from the police officer who gave you all that grace. And you said, God, help me. Right? Yeah. So let's just say there are people who are sitting here thinking, you know what? Today is the day where I really need to take a different step. I need to walk in a different direction. And inside, they're saying, God, help me. And they make a decision to sign up for a small group. What, what can they expect? What is important? Like when you go to your AA meetings or when you do even your small group meetings, I know a couple of things. One, pouring into a good book. Yes. You know, the good book for, for, for us, you know, the Word of God. Just, but pouring into it so that you can learn what you need to learn because it becomes like a mirror, right? Correct. And then, and so I want you to talk just a little bit about that. And then second... When you and I get together, we do inventory. You know, we share, okay, what are you struggling with? What's, you know, where are you not trusting God? We ask, these, we ask ourselves some of these questions every time we get together yes. so that we just continue to stay open and let somebody else speaking to us, like what you were saying about the back of it. I can't see it, but you can reveal it to me, Rick. This is what's going on, right? Yeah. So can you speak to those two things? Uh, yeah. Um, one of the reasons why, you know, I would go to my mentor, and Rick was talking about the trusting God thing. My mentor would come to me and says, listen, don't tell me what you're afraid of. Don't tell me what you're resentful about. Tell me what you're not trusting God with because that's where it all comes from. Um, I needed to get down to the roots of what was, what was going on in my life. You know, it was like if I went, for me, and this still happens from time to time, when I'm resentful or fearful, I will concentrate what I'm resentful or fearful about. <laughs> but if I focus on my relationship with God, what I'm fearful and resentful about vaporizes. Yeah. So I had to learn how to change my focus. And when I'm in small rooms, I can change my focus. Like this cup here. This is not just any coffee cup, guys. This is a Mandalorian Baby Yoda coffee cup. <laughs> Does anybody in here know about Baby Yoda? <laughs> all right, all right. We're, we're not Star Wars fans at our house. Z actually, Xander is. No, um, we're big Star Wars fans. But I was telling Rick... And I can wrap it up with this, you know. This is a this is a Yoda, baby Yoda coffee cup. But this coffee cup, I could put if I put water in it, it's gonna have water in it. If I put tea inside of this cup, it's gonna have tea in it. If I put juice in it or coffee, it's gonna have that in it. So when life gets tough and something bumps into you, what pours out of you? You know? In small groups, I learned how I can pour into somebody else so when, they, when life hits them, that that frustration, that anger, they'll have tools where something different will pour out of them, like love, compassion, understanding, forgiveness, all of those things that I wanted that I didn't know I wanted before I got sober happened for me. You know, um, today, those things don't pour out of me as much because I still have my sin nature. I will never be perfect. I'll never arrive to anything. I'll just always be on my way, <laughs> you know, and when I trust God, 
and I go to small groups, I allow people to pour into me, what happens is my cup could be either a thimble or a bathtub full when it comes to what I understand God. But it doesn't matter. It just matters that as long as you have some, you can grow from whatever size you are. If it's, you only have a thimble's worth of understanding of small groups and God, it can grow. And the more you build that relationship with, the more that you'll be able to pour into other people's cups. And the next thing you know, another small group starts. And another small group starts. Another, another, another. And then that's what we do. And then we bring all our solutions back to the whole, which is this. And we share it with each other on how God, not us, transformed our lives. How Jesus takes it all, guys. I mean everything. I remember, um, <laughs> this is funny. I remember saying, uh, asking my mentor one time, he says, listen, Matt, you either give God everything or you give him nothing at all. And he says, I used to think God, God remove all this stuff. I didn't think he knew anything about money or women, but he apparently knows that stuff too. <laughs> and so, you know, but the thing is, is I had to learn how to turn everything over. And, and sometimes it's a little bit at a time. So when I work with, when I work with, with sponsees, I said, you know, imagine that you're going to the ocean with a teacup with your eyes closed and you pour that teacup into the ocean and you open up and that's God as you understand him, you know? And I said, listen. This is God as you understand him. We don't expect you to come to a small group and swallow the whole ocean at once. Right? Just participate at a level you're comfortable with. And then that comfortability will grow. And it'll turn into something else. That's and next good. thing you'll know, you'll look back and you'll say, dang it, I am not the man that I used to be. I'm not the woman I used to be. So, I hope you guys learned something. That's good. Would you thank Matthew for me? <laughs> I love you. What I also love is that God is really, really good because not only um, has he restored life, given you the best wife, best daughter, best son, you know, so you got this, this great family, but you wanted to be involved in the entertainment industry. And I remember when we were sitting there thinking, you know, is this going to open up doors? Is it going to set me back? Is it, am I selfish? And we had all these conversations. But God has been so good. So not only did he just give you everything that you really needed for life and godliness, but he opened up this, this brand new world. So I don't even know how many different movies you've been in. How many have you been in? my aunt she's she's on my team um so i was in um the highwaymen with kevin Costner and woody harrelson which i did a year ago and then i did a tv show um on hulu called the first which had sean penn in it and that was my first stuff i did some extra stuff and then i got some speaking roles and then i producing a film that we started paying paying for with jeremy london who was in a movie called mall rats and party of five and seventh heaven and he was actually at our wedding he's a good friend of mine and we started an acting school here in pensacola you know and we have it here at the church and I started a little bit at a time and next thing you know I get an agent next thing you know I'm getting headshots next thing you know I'm working with with people that have been in the industry for 30 or 40 years my current acting coach is a guy named James Sassoni who was in The Irishman and I don't know if any of you guys have seen that and also he was in The Joker this year but he was also a master of none he's been on um, Blue Bloods he's been on a lot of stuff and we Skype and he lives in New York but he's a character actor and that process of learning characters and developing characters and and learning how to do that has been my next, you know, step in that direction that you're talking about on learning more about, you know, acting. 
And what's cool is that you can take those, those things that have happened to you, those traumas and those things, and you can use that as fuel. That can be the fuel to support what, I, like what I'm doing. I can take that and I can filter it in acting, and it won't harm anybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? I can, it's very cathartic, so I'm thankful God has blessed me with that. That is really cool. Isn't that God good? God is good, isn't he? That is good. Okay, let me move this back. So what I want you to hear is that just by taking a step, you never know where it's going to lead or what it's going to do or how it's going to help you.